Good morning, church. Thank you. Page 1632 is where our scripture reading is coming from this morning. Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Um, Just to clear up any confusion, if you were here last week and um, you heard me preach the passage before this and I preached first person narrative and I began with the words, I'll be 55 next month, uh, there there was at least one beautiful person who thought, boy, he's a lot older than Anne. (laughs) I'm I'm 39. (laughs) So... uh, Here we go, Zacchaeus the tax collector. (laughs) Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. God's Word. Friends, I know that we're, I'm conscious of the time, we're a little bit uh, behind where we normally are, so I'll, I'll attempt to shorten, but I cannot help uh, but start by telling you this very brief story that um, always comes to my mind when I read this text. When I was in first year seminary taking my very first preaching class, we were assigned texts and our first assignment was we had to come back to the next class with a one sentence theme. You had to be real specific. What's the theme of the passage? And it had to have one main verb. And so my friend Chris got assigned this passage and the professor said, well, Chris, what's the theme? And he said, Jesus, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And the professor said, uh, sorry, seek and save. You, you can only have one main verb. And he, Chris said, well, but that's what Jesus said. And the professor said, I'm sorry, you can only have one main verb. And so Chris said, fine. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. <laughs> and he made one main verb. <laughs> Some of you um, may remember the name Jeffrey Dahmer. 
Yeah, so for those of you who, who don't, who are maybe a little young, um, he was a serial killer, a mass murderer who was convicted of not only um, killing, but abusing, dismembering, and cannibalizing 17 young men in Milwaukee in the um, late 80s and early 90s. And he himself was beaten to death with a broom by a fellow prisoner in 1994. And after his death, the, all the news stations, of course, were carrying news of this. And w- the thing that most of them were carrying was uh, pictures and interviews with family members of, of the, those young boys that had been lost. And the sentiment that was shared among most of those family members was he died too soon. This is not just. We wanted to see him suffer. It is not fair that he should get to leave this world so soon. It, there was one TV station that carried a different story. And that TV station carried an interview with Dahmer that had been filmed in the months before he was killed. And in that interview, the interviewer asked him, how did you come to do the things that you did? And he said to the interviewer, I didn't know God. And so there was no law in my life. I was a law unto myself. And so I started with little things, with petty crimes, and there was just no accountability. And so I just got worse and I got worse and I did more and I was more and more given over to evil. And, and there was nothing to keep evil in me in check. And then he shared that he had since come to know what Jesus Christ had done for him and he had given his life to Jesus. The, the camera then pans over to the prison chaplain who testified and said, actually, he's one of my most faithful um, congregants in the prison uh, church, and he cannot get enough of scripture and of the religious material that I put in his hands. So um, Philip Yancey tells this story in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And Yancey says, our small group was talking about this. It was all the news afterwards. And he said, uh, those who had not seen that story of Dahmer's conversion heard secondhand from those of us who had, and their response was, no way. There's no way. They saw him as nothing but a beast, inhuman, And they said there was no possible way that God could forgive that. He can't. He could not. He could not be sorry. That could not be real. And and they just could not get their minds around the fact that he might have he might have converted. In fact, not only could they not get their minds around it, but it seemed like they did not want to see him converted. Like it offended their sense of justice. And I want to tell you that that's the exact place where we pick up with Luke in this text with the people who are muttering as Jesus invites Zacchaeus to come have him at his place. They cannot believe that God would forgive Zacchaeus. 
Jesus is offending their sense of justice, of God's holiness, of what's right. Do you know what kind of a man this is? Do you know what he's done? Jesus? How can you invite him to have a meal with you? Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector, he's the chief tax collector. And we already know that tax collectors are, are hated by the Jewish Israel people because they've sold themselves out to the opposition, the Roman overlords. But the, the chief one is the chief of all that because he, he who gets to be the chief tax collector is he who bids the highest. And so this man has separated himself from his family and from his people and from his faith. He's a traitor, all for money. He's greedy. And his name, Zacchaeus, it means pure. And it means innocent. And he's hardly pure and hardly innocent. He is tainted. He's dirty. He's a traitor. And the most interesting thing about this text this morning is that in the Gospel of Luke, Luke's eyes and in Jesus' eyes, the main problem is not first and foremost his lack of purity and innocence. The main problem is first and foremost that if it were up to anybody besides Jesus, he would be unredeemable. If it were up to anybody besides Jesus, he would not qualify to receive forgiveness. He would not be transformable. They mutter, how can God do this? But just like the blind man in last week's text who's not going to let others keep him away, Zacchaeus is hungry. And so he, in his hunger, he's obviously we don't know how much he's heard of Jesus. We don't know how hungry he is. But we, we can assume that there's an awareness within him that something's missing, something's wrong, something's off. And he's heard about Jesus. And he's heard enough about Jesus that he's eager and he's attracted. Jesus isn't like the other religious leaders. He's not going to get the feeling from him that he's not good enough. Or he's not welcome. And so he's attracted and so he does this really unseemly, undignified thing for a rich man. He runs ahead and he climbs up a tree. Sycamore fig tree would be really short, fat, low. And so maybe the branch is right here. He's not that high off the ground. He's just right here. And Jesus walks along that way and Jesus comes up to him and Jesus takes one look at him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. It's really impossible to overstate just how radical those words of Jesus are. So to us, that sounds like a, a command. It's more of an urgent invitation. But it's an invitation that breaks all the rules. Because to invite someone to have dinner is not like... You know, here we would just go, hey, Anna and Neil, like, why don't we have dinner sometime? Or why don't we go out and, you know, let's get to know each other. You know, you're new. Or eating together, breaking bread together in that context was the sign of friendship 
and acceptance at a deep, deep level. And so you did not invite someone to eat if you were not saying, willing to say to them, I accept you as a person. And so here's Jesus with full knowledge of Zacchaeus' lack of innocence and purity, stepping up to him and saying, Zacchaeus, I know. I know. And I accept you. Let's go eat together. No Zacchaeus, these are all the rules you've broken. No, Zacchaeus, let's talk about your life right now. Is anybody here getting offended? Like, does anybody... God's holy. And Zacchaeus is just trampling all over God's holiness. And Jesus isn't talking about that. Jesus is looking past that. Jesus is looking at Zacchaeus and he's saying, Zacchaeus, I accept you. Let's go have a meal together. And Zacchaeus responds, gets down, and the people mutter. And Zacchaeus again says, look, Lord, right here and now, I'll give half my, half my possessions away. And if I've done anybody any wrong, I'll give four times as much to that person and Jesus says today salvation has come to this household and he doesn't say that salvation came because Zacchaeus gave stuff away he says salvation came because Zacchaeus got down out of the tree because when Jesus made that offer to Zacchaeus he had a choice he knew as Jesus, the religious leader, the holy man, the teacher, the pure one, stood there and made that offer to him. He knew that Jesus wasn't blessing his lifestyle. He knew he wasn't being invited into a relationship with Jesus that would leave him the same. So he knew that he had a choice to make. And coming down from that tree was saying yes to Jesus. That was his moment of conversion. That was his letting go of that old life and everything that it entailed. That was his saying, I'm giving up riches. I'm giving up wealth. I'm giving up the pursuit of it. I'm giving up the control that it brings. I'm giving up the sense of security. I'm giving it all up. That got demonstrated later after people started to mutter. But his moment of conversion is when he comes down out of that tree. And I think that the most horribly ironic thing is that the crowd is watching this drama of grace unfold. The crowd is watching God come to a dirtied man, a man who sold his soul, and offer forgiveness, offer a new start. And they watch that man get down out of the tree and agree to come with God into that new life. 
And the only thing that they can do is mutter. Complain and grumble. Because God's grace offends their religious sensibilities. It's a scandal. It breaks their categories down because their categories are righteous and unrighteous or worthy and not worthy or less worthy. They've got people divided in a way that Jesus doesn't divide them. Jesus says, I came to seek, I'm looking for those that are lost and I came to save them. And the implication is, you're all lost. And the division is between Not those who are lost and aren't lost, but those who recognize their lostness and are willing to say, Jesus, I I come with you. I accept. I think it's just a, a horribly sobering thing that the religious community would prevent Zacchaeus from receiving the grace of God. And I think that first and foremost, we've got to turn the camera around on ourselves this morning and ask is the same scandalous love of Jesus Christ, that offer of unconditional acceptance and friendship, is it at work in us? Is it um, is that the aura that we give off? Would people say about me, would they say about you, she loves, he loves, even when you know he doesn't approve or disagrees, he loves, he accepts, not what you're doing, but you as a person. Well, of course, Pastor Dave, of course, you know, we, we, we all would say that we want to love and accept as God loves and accepts, but what, what, how would we know if we were giving off this aura of grace? Well, we, we might know if we were being um, accused of being too gracious. If the way that we related to people scandalized some. Let, let, let's ask it this way. Um, would anybody in here be accusable of, I don't know if that's a word, of um, attempting to build relationships with the sex workers in our neighborhood? So whether it's people at Parkway Tropics, or it's people on the corner of Fulton and Gold. And, and would any of them be able to say that they experienced from us the exact same looking past what you've done and who it appears you've made yourself to be and giving an offer of friendship, hospitality. Are they welcome in our homes? 
just as Jesus asked if he could go to Zacchaeus' home. What, what rubs up against our religious sensibilities? I, got an, I was writing this sermon, and yesterday I got an email from a friend, a note, and he wrote, um, in 2005, the home group that my wife and I were leading threw a person a baby shower. Doesn't sound like a big deal, but it was a huge deal to the female recipient. You see, we threw a party for a single mom who already had three children from different fathers. She never experienced a baby shower before, so this was a ex- new experience for her. What was new as well was not being judged for her actions and being made to feel trashy and unloved. This caused a little stir with religious people, especially when we held this celebration at the church. However, all we wanted to do was show God's love in a practical way to a person who had never experienced this. I will never, ever forget the shine on her face as we lavished love on her and celebrated her pregnancy with her. That look has to be the same look on the faces of the people who Jesus hung around in Scripture. It was a look of acceptance, love, joy, and peace. My heart has been forever changed by this experience. I can hear some of those religious people's comments because I've spoken them. Because they've been my comments. Because I would, I would have at, at, at points in time said, well, isn't, like, wouldn't that be like blessing like what she did? You know, like if we threw a baby shower, wouldn't that be like affirming that she was having sex outside of marriage? You know, wouldn't she think or... No. No, that would be affirming her as a person. That would be saying, you have worth and dignity despite the mistakes that you've made. That would be saying, I can look past the choices, the sins, the things that have marred. That would be like doing what Jesus did when he looks at tainted Zacchaeus and says, I'm go- in essence, I'm going to return you to purity and innocence. And it isn't going to be because you clawed your way back but it's going to be because you, you experienced my grace. And it's an experience of Jesus' grace that he responds to and that opens him up to saying, I'm leaving that life. I'm leaving it all behind. Here's half my possessions. Here's that. Grace is being caught naked. And released. And if it's not scandalous, it's not grace. Every single one of us needs the Lord to do for us what He did for Zacchaeus. Because we can agree with God that we're sinners and that we need grace. But it's until he exposes us. It's until he takes us to this place of here I am in a tree and Jesus is standing before me and he knows everything. He knows everything and it's not hidden from him. 
and he's he's not ashamed he's not looking at me with shame he's not condemning he's not pointing he's not judging he's inviting I want to, I want to close with a, a really brief story that I think illustrates this grace um, profoundly and um, that I believe um, is something that the Lord wants to work in and through each one of us. It's, it's another story from Philip Yancey's What's So Amazing About Grace. If you haven't ever read that book, please do. It's, it's incredible. He tells the story, Philip does, of a man by the name Will Campbell. I, I should uh, forewarn you, I'm going to use the word um, bastard in this story, but it's not for shock value and it's not for swearing. It's the dictionary version of the word and it's a part of the story, okay? Will Campbell was a civil a pastor and he was a civil rights activist who, when uh, Martin Luther King Jr. called people down south to march on Selma, came. And um, along the way, he met another young man by the name of Jonathan Daniels. And uh, after most of the action was over and most people left, the two of them stayed on together to work for justice and reconciliation. And they experienced incredible hardship doing so, but they formed a real friendship. And um, alongside them came a journalist by the name of P.D. East. Eastman or P.D. East? I can't remember. Uh, but, But he was an agnostic did not believe in the Lord, did not, uh, was turned off by a lot of the racial um, division that he saw in the church. And so he was constantly pushing these guys and saying, uh, this gospel can't be true and, and look at you church and what is the gospel anyways? And finally one time he cornered Will Campbell and he said, Will, give me the gospel in 10 words or less. And Will thought for a moment and he said, We're all bastards, but God loves us anyways. Bastard means illegitimate child. And um, what happened next was that within a few short days, a deputy sheriff by the name of Thomas Coleman walked into a convenience store where Jonathan Daniels was purchasing uh, a drink and he unloaded a shotgun into his stomach and he killed him. And he shot an innocent black man um, that was standing beside him as well. He was critically injured. So remember, Jonathan is Will's friend. After this happened, the journalist P.D. East was with Will and his brother and you would think that this would be a sensitive moment and they would just like console each other. But he got right in Will's face and he pressed him and he pressed him on his definition of the gospel. And he said, you, you said we're all bastards. Was Jonathan Daniels, the guy who just got killed, was he a bastard? And Will said, well, yes, I, I suppose he was in the sense that he too was a a sinner, and so he he was living, you know, according to he he was he was fathered by Satan. He, he was he didn't know God. He had to come to know God. So yes, he was. And then he he turned it around and he said, "Well, was uh, Thomas Coleman, the sheriff who shot him, was he a bastard?" And Will said, "Yes, he was." He said he didn't find it too hard to answer that. He was angry. And then P.D. East got right in his face, 
got, got up on his face and he said, tell me, which one of these bastards does God love more? And Will said that in a few short seconds, the whole room started to swirl. And he went from tears to whimpering joy to tears to whimpering. And, and he just kind of faded away as the grace of God fell on him and he had a revelation of the gospel. And he said, neither one. He loves them both equally. He said, up to that point in my life, I'd been a minister for 20 years and I realized that I did not understand the gospel. But that that encounter so changed me that I gave up my position with the National Council of Churches and I went off to be an apostle to the rednecks because I figured that nobody was trying to reach the Thomas Coleman's of this world. He said, I underwent an earthquake of grace. Zacchaeus, when Jesus meets him, undergoes an earthquake because Jesus meets him in the exact place of his need and his nakedness. And everyone in that crowd that day, if they were willing, could undergo that same earthquake. Jesus came looking for, seeking, wanting to save all who are lost. And Jesus says to us this morning, first of all, I'm calling you. Maybe you've been away for a little bit. Maybe you've been away for a, lot, a while. Maybe you've followed me for many years and never known just how deep my grace is calling you home. I'm telling you that I love you and I accept you. And that I want to live my life through you. And then Jesus, I believe, asks, will you let me live my life through you? Will you let my scandalous grace flow, will you be release control on trying to change people and trust me to do that work, trust my spirit to do that work as they encounter my grace. Let's pray.